In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a glorious wedding that you're missing, or that you missed, and that is missing. Yesterday we had a, a most beautiful wedding mass, and it was the occasion to share a personal story to this couple in their senior years about an old monk that I happened to get to know. It was my last summer of seminary, just months before my ordination to the diaconate. I had uh, managed to um, satisfy both the seminary and the diocese that required seminarians to either do apostolic work or to be doing language study. Um, we managed to get my living in a monastery categorized as language study. It happened to be the oldest, and still is the oldest, continuously active Cistercian monastery in the world, founded during the lifetime of St. Bernard in the outskirts of Vienna, Austria. And my language tutor was an old monk, Pater Alban is his name. He was the, the kindest human being you'd ever want to meet. And much uh, to everyone's surprise, he became a monk when he was 70 years old. And he was ordained a priest when he was 75. That was just a few years before I met him. We would work in the garden. He was the gardener for the monastery. They had, a, they had an enormous vegetable garden behind the, the winter chapel. I would accompany him on visits to um, nearby monasteries and convents where a priest of the monastery needed to go to offer mass. So we would prepare, he would help me prepare the reading so I would be his server and his lector at those masses. And otherwise, we would, we would spend the day together and sometimes talk about our favorite beer from Benedictine Monastery south of Munich. And over the years, I've assumed that he's passed away. It was for the occasion of this wedding um, whose in which the bride and groom were junior to this 70-year-old brand-new monk. I finally researched and um, learned what, what came of him. What was more interesting was what, um, what he came from. Turns out he was born in 1919. Uh, as a young boy, he excelled in school. Uh, even went to gymnasium, which in Germany means that you're headed to university. And immediately upon graduating from gymnasium, he was conscripted into the German army. He was wounded twice in battle on the Russian front. And it was in the course of his service in the German army that he wrote a letter to someone named Adolf Hitler in which he told him to stop his war against the church. 
he was committed to an insane asylum and languished there for a few years. When he tried to escape, um, they brought him back. When the Reich was finally over, he was freed, but uh, a wounded man. His dream had always been to be a priest, to be a monk. And when he was trying to escape, he was trying to escape to Switzerland to join a monastery. His recuperation was facilitated by his mother, who didn't live that much longer. A missionary, a Dominican, who had been a missionary in China, whose name is Alban, or Alban in German, whose name he would eventually take on many decades later, helped to adjust him to just simply living in the world. And so he lived out his adult life working in the mines of southern Germany as a mining engineer. In his retirement, the Cistercian monks of Heiligenkreuz established a priory, literally, or figuratively actually, I should say, figuratively across the street from where he lived. And he took it as an invitation. In point of fact, the monks did invite local people to actually come into their choir stalls and to pray the office with them, akin to how you can participate or distract the Dominican friars at the House of Studies in Washington. And taking up that invitation, he was drawn into realizing that in his last years, he would finally follow through on the inspiration God had given, given him so long ago. He entered the monastery in 1988 and was ordained in 1996 and passed away in 2003. When I met him, I knew that there was a story that he had only been recently ordained a priest, and he simply described his life at that moment to me as a few long, deep breaths before heaven. And so I bring this to our attention because it's precisely at that age, and we either are that age or will be that age, when there will be a big difference between having a heart full of kindness and still being apostolic. whether it was my mother being a widow for 20 years or in so many brand new widows who all of a sudden find themselves just terribly lonely. And they're being also hampered by pain, physical pain, 
doesn't help. The fact that they're relatively isolated doesn't mean that they've stopped loving people necessarily. They still may have a heart of charity. It comes out when someone happens to visit them. But that's still different from being apostolic and deciding to live for others, to continue to live for others, regardless of our age, regardless of our infirmity. In the same way that at confirmation time, I remind our young people and I remind you, it's one thing to believe and to pray and even to receive the sacraments. That's really good, but that's the beginning. Because that's the precursor to receiving the sacrament of confirmation and being an apostle and sharing with others the grace that you've received for the sake of your salvation. That struggle will always be ours, no matter our age. It's one thing to have a kind disposition towards others and to pray for them and even to love them. It is another thing in addition to that to decide to help them. Especially when our help is in the realm of the spiritual works of mercy. To correct them, to teach them, to pray for them, to pray with them, to teach them to pray, to help them to know, to love, and to serve Jesus Christ. Missing in the readings is the third epiphany. If it were the year 2019 and the cycle were year C, we would have John chapter 2, 1 to 11, as is still the case in the older lectionary. The three epiphanies that complete this season, the visit of the Magi, the baptism of the Lord, which we celebrated already, and then this Sunday sometimes is the wedding feast at Cana. It's the wedding feast at Cana that reminds us that even in ordinary things, there is something divine at work. Mary cannot be accused of telling Jesus to do a miracle merely out of convenience. Christ never worked miracles just to make people happy. He worked miracles to make them holy, to help them get to heaven, to believe, to have faith, to persevere. And so a wedding happens in your life or will happen in your life. Be sure to choose someone who's a good father or mother to your children and who will be faithful to you no matter what. When that wedding happened or when that wedding will happen, it won't just simply be a moment that's religious and happy. It will be an opportunity for God to give you grace to be an apostle, to serve that person, to lay down your life for that person, to help that person get to heaven. If you're the kind of person who works hard, who makes sacrifices willingly, then the life of marriage 
probably will make you happy. How simply beautiful it is when we see someone at that stage where some people, where worldly people would decide, I am now going to live for myself. I've worked, I've raised my kids, I'm free, I'm going to travel. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to take care of me now. Instead, to see people who say, my life belongs to God now more than ever. In consecration and ordination, or in wedding vows. Because God came that we might have life and have that abundantly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.